Good to be together. So today we're going to be talking, and for the next two weeks after this, about community, about our lives together as people, as a church, as a gospel-centered community. And we're going to do that in a number of different ways, and today we're going to talk about our group life together. And we're going to, uh, when I finish, and I'm going to preach a shorter preach today, and then James is going to come and he's going to explain how it will work. Uh, Because we've mentioned a few times that this was a day for big news about our group life together. Now, if you have been around for a while, you're well aware that this is coming and that changes are afoot. And today's a day where we talk in more detail about how that might happen. And I'm going to try and set something of a biblical foundation as to why we do what we do. And then uh, James will come and tell you how we're going to do what we do, all being well. That's how it all works. So, Shall we pray? Father, we thank you so much for your presence, for your love, for your kindness and your goodness. We thank you for your Holy Spirit upon each of us. And we pray now as we turn to your word, as we think about how you uh, have done things and how you've spoken to us. We pray, come on us again by your spirit. We want to hear from you, but we want more than just to hear from you. We want to be doers of your word. I pray, come upon us and inspire us and instruct us to take action because you came and spoke to us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. God has made us for community. You are built for one another. Uh, You may or may not realize that, and that will be a huge variety across the room. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but I like my own company, and that could be true for some, but actually very few people would actually say, do you know what, I'd like to go live in a cave, and I don't want to speak to anyone else ever, maybe one or two. Uh, They probably wouldn't be here, to be fair, if that was them, would they? But most of us Most of us recognize something of the fact that we are designed, and we are designed for one another. We desire to be relational beings. And all through the Bible, what we see is that played out in all kinds of different ways, in different sizes and shapes of relationship. Um, And even right in creation, right at the beginning in those creation stories in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we see this played out. And what you see in the rhythms of the creation story, you see each day passes and God creates and then reflects on what he's made. And it says at the end of each day, it was good. It was good. And there's a rhythm that comes through in that pattern as God creates. Until a certain point, and there's a certain point in the story where there's a, almost a jarring moment and a, a bit of a surprise. And I'll read that to you because we find that in Acts uh, chapter, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. The Lord God said, remember he said, it's good, it's good, it's good at each point. The Lord God said, it is not good. And we said, well, what happened? Well, when we see the context, we realize what's happened. God said, it's not good for man, for Adam to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Adam was unable to fulfill the creation ordinance to go and fill the earth and fill everything with the presence and power of God to bring order out of the chaos, the continuing work of creation that he was instructed to do. He couldn't do it. He was unable to do it. He was incompetent to do it. Men, get used to it. You are incompetent to do it on your own. You weren't able to do it. And what was needed was someone the same but different beautifully different, wonderfully, glorifully created different. And God creates Eve. And suddenly, what God had asked of humanity was possible because Eve came and that creation began to spill out 
from the garden. And he couldn't do it on his own. He wasn't meant to be alone. And nor was Eve. They weren't supposed to be individually separate. They were supposed to be together. And part of what they did as that creative work continued was to create community. And that was always part of God's plan, that society would be built. And actually for them, it would be built about the the presence of God, of who God is. And of course, we see this idea of community even before we see creation at all, because we see it in who God is. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is three, and God is one, and yes, that's a mystery, and it's supposed to be. But what we see within the Trinity is we see relationship. We see authority and submission. We see love and respect. We see creative wonder breaking out from who he is. Now, some people might have given you some examples over the years of what Trinity or how Trinity might be able to be understood. Some might have said, well, it's a bit like water. You know, it could be ice and it could be steam and it could be liquid water. Or, or, or maybe it's a bit like an orange. You know, it's got lots of segments, but it's all one orange. Well, can I respectfully say that they're not very good examples? And let me tell you why they're not very good examples. Because if God is God, then we ought to allow him and we ought to expect that he would be in a category of one. Because he's God. There is nothing else and no one else like him. And so he is, he's a category of one. So three and one. And yet in that glorious three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what do we see? We see community. We see joy. We see wonder. In fact, it tells us what we see in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 16. When did we last quote Chronicles in church? Anyway, here we go. 1 Chronicles 16. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. What a wonderful, glorious picture, word picture of what it means to be in the presence of God. Honor and majesty and strength and joy. And those, some of those words, joy and honor, even majesty, they speak of community. There's something in there for more than one. And of course we see that because we see the Trinity. And then we find the Bible says, that we are made in God's image. We're made something like God. And that doesn't mean that you look like God. Sorry, I mean, I know some of you think that's true, but it isn't true. God is spirit, can't be seen. But there's something about who God is. I would suggest something about his, that community, that relational community that is in you too. That you also find joy and wonder and strength in that community that you, that God puts you in. And you find that in in husbands and fathers and daughters and sisters. And you find that when they, all that comes together in the community, particularly the community of the church. One of the greatest joys of life is finding a friend, isn't it? It's finding someone to be close to. It's a great joy. And certainly that's been true for me over the years. It's a great joy. It's a wonder. Actually, I think C.S. Lewis said something about that. He said, I would sacrifice immense things to be close to friends because he knew the joy, one of life's great joys was to be with those that we care about. In our, in our society, this is a huge problem and an increasing problem. And something of a surprising problem, loneliness, being alone is a massive problem. In our, we were kind of promised with the onset of technology, connection and, and, and freedom, and suddenly we instantly we could connect with people all over the world, and it's right there in the palm of your hand, and yet the reality for people is that they seem more and more distant than ever before. 
the, the shallowness sometimes of those connections and the way that works for many simply isn't working. It's one of the ways that the church can actually demonstrate something of who God is by creating those genuinely meaningful communities, friendships, family, together. Look at, just have a look at each other. Have a quick look, you know, have a sneaky look if you're a bit embarrassed, but look at the back of someone's head if you really don't want to move your head at all. You're very different from each other. You're not in the room because you, you know, you're all, you all like the same football team or you, you know, you're all gonna, you're all cyclists or you're, you're <laughs> yeah, I, I suspected that might happen. Uh, oh. But you're not, you're here, why? Because of your connection with Almighty God. And that gives you something in common, even though you're incredibly diverse. And the church can create those contexts where family and friendship can happen. I would say, again, personally, some of the best friends that I've ever made in my life have been in those community relationships, serving other people together. There have been lifelong friendship made over many years because we did something together as a community but in the church, those friendships are not accidental. It's not like, well, like, you know, that's nice. I sort of bumped into someone and, well, here we go. But actually, God calls us together. He calls us together for purpose. And he does that. And he did that with his disciples in Matthew and chapter 4. So when God is starting his new community, his new community that will be full of God's Holy Spirit in a way that they hadn't known really since Eden, God calls a group of people together. And he calls them together and he says, follow me, I'm going to make you into something that you weren't before. I'm going to make you fishers of men and of women. You're going to go and catch people. And you're going to catch people into the life of God that begins and it begins to flow through you. And that was what the purpose of those early disciples was. He was making them something, a prototype church, a beginning of a community with God in the center and we read that as we continue, as we continue to read that through the Acts story, we find out how that continued. I read the famous passage on community life together in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 and on. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, uh, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together in their temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And as the Holy Spirit came upon them... That life that was in God, even in the Trinity, that life that had been poured out in the garden, that life that God longed for us to enjoy, begins to break out into the city around them. And what do you see? Well, you see a few things that they did, and then you see the results of what they did. It was five things they did, and then four results. The first thing we see is they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. For us, that would be they were devoted to the Word. They loved God's Word. They knew this was a source of wisdom and strength. This was a source of knowing how to live, how to be together. All the things they didn't know could be found in these words. So they were devoted to the Bible. They were devoted to a Christian word called fellowship. Maybe we should say friendship. They were devoted to being friends together. 
And a fellowship does carry a little bit more meet, meaning. It carries a, a bit more of a, of a sharing of lives, maybe. But actually, friendship's a fine word, too. They were devoted to being friends together. That's lovely, isn't it? Because it doesn't always come naturally. They, they were devoted to it. They gave themselves to being friends. And imagine those early disciples even, those, those 12 with Jesus. They were completely different people. You had a tax collector and a zealot. They would have hated each other naturally. And then you had brothers. You know how brothers get on or don't? And they were devoted to being friends together. Why? Because they knew there was something bigger going on. There was something of who God was to be shared with those around them. They were devoted to eating together. That's how you know sometimes that you're starting to make friends, when you start eating together. Eating is such a really practical, everyday thing. You've all probably done it today, and you, as time ticks by, you're thinking about doing it again. And there's, you make plans for it, you know, you go shopping for it, you set money aside for it. Some of you are superb at preparing meals. Some of us are not, personally, not great at preparing meals. But it's really a very basic part of being human is to eat. And they devoted themselves to eating together. And then there was something else they devoted themselves to in the midst of their eating together. They devoted themselves to sharing the Lord's Supper together as part of their meals. And what they did was they brought the life of God into the everyday. This really practical, everyday, ordinary thing. Suddenly, it's sanctified. Suddenly, there's something of God in it. Why? Because they're sharing bread and they're sharing wine together. They're bringing the gospel into the heart of the home, of each home, as they shared that time together. So they remembered the broken body of Jesus on the cross. They remembered the shed blood for the forgiveness of sins. They remembered that was their access into the life of God. They remembered it. They reminded themselves this is how to live as a believer. And as they took in nourishment, that meant they could live physically. They were taking in nourishment that reminded them this is how you live spiritually. That's how it works, by being born again, by trusting Jesus for your salvation. And that was tangibly on the table every time they met together. They devoted themselves to that They devoted themselves to meeting the needs of others. Great generosity was shared amongst them. When someone was in need, they met the need. And they were devoted to doing that. And then it says they were devoted to prayer. They were following Jesus, remember. And one of the marks of Jesus' life was his devotion to prayer. Jesus, out of anyone who ever walked the face of the earth, you'd think didn't need to pray. And yet he knew that he needed to connect with his father. How? Through that relationship, that fellowship, that friendship, that communion with the father. And so they followed him. And what broke out as they devoted themselves to these things, broke out beyond the walls of their homes, was this, was joy. There was joy in the city because of those friendships, because of that fellowship, because of that devotion because of their sharing of the word, there was generosity. That generosity that starts inside the church before long as you read church history breaks out beyond the walls of their homes. It starts to break out into the city. People start wondering, who are these people? Where is this generosity coming from? We don't see it in other places, but they were to see it in the community of believers. There was goodwill upon them from outsiders. Even those who didn't want to join recognized, wow, look what these guys are doing. This is incredible. And then we see there was growth, people being added to their number. No surprise, really, when you see all that life of God shared throughout the community. And actually what Jesus had said to them as 
he left as he ascended into heaven. And before that, he said, take what I've shown you and tell everyone everywhere. Go everywhere and tell everyone, take this life that is in you, this Holy Spirit that's going to be poured out upon you and share it and share him everywhere to all people in all nations forever. Now, they didn't really do that to start with. And they all stayed in the city together. They stayed in Jerusalem for a long time. And it wasn't actually until the tragedy of Acts 7 where the young man, Stephen, gets up to preach. And as he preaches the gospel of Jesus to the city, they turn on him and they stone him and persecution breaks out against the believers. And it's a, the city can be a fickle place sometimes, can't it? And they turned against him and they turned against them and they had to flee for their lives. And in a strange way, in that fleeing out of Jerusalem, they were fulfilling what God had called them to do. Take Jesus and go everywhere and tell everyone. And the believers scattered far and wide, but instead of running and hiding, they did what they'd been told. They preached the good news wherever they went. And churches would spring up and communities of believers would be springing up everywhere. And you could follow the story as you follow the story of Acts all the way through. And as they continued to gather together in those places, the church grew further and faster than it had ever grown before. So the question is, what about us? What about City Church? Where do we fit into all of this? How do we fit into this story? There's so many things that we would want to do and be together. We would want to be those who, who disciple one another. To, we want to be evangelistically kind of on the front foot. We want to teach the Bible. We want to do training. We want to serve the city. We want to have friendship and fellowship together. We want to be generous. We want to be those who pray. How do we do all of this together? It's lots of things. And you may have noticed, as I have, that life is quite busy too. And the last thing what you'd want to do is to welcome someone into the glorious freedom of knowing Christ and then give them a very busy timetable and say, welcome to the freedom that you know now in Jesus. Here's the timetable. You've got to do this on a Wednesday, on a Thursday. Saturday you should do this. Here's a course you've got to go on. And you've got to do this. That's the last thing that we ought to be doing. There ought to be some freedom, even in the method of how we do things together. And what we wanted to do is find a way of, of doing these things, but do it in such a way that there was much less of a burden maybe than we've had on the past, particularly on those who lead. And if you've been leading any kind of group life or courses or things in the life of this church, just want to say, well done. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your commitment and kindness to those around you. Thank you for your care for God and for his people. And we want to help you to continue to do that in a way I hope is, brings life to your commitment and to your service. We want to make things a little bit more accessible for believers and newcomers and new believers alike. Make it easy for people to get into this life together. And I think for me, as someone who helps to lead in the church, what I want to do is see each of us grow in our faith. That we will be strengthened as believers. Just forget being a leader for one minute. As a brother to you. I want you to grow in faith. I want you to be stronger in your ability to do something wonderful for Jesus. I want to see that that muscle, which is faith, grow in you. And it only grows when it's exercised, just like normal muscles. 
You don't get strong without being exercised. And that's absolutely true. We know that because we know the Bible, don't we? Think of the story of David, the famous story of David and Goliath. How did he, he didn't just pitch up and and fight Goliath. He tells the story. He says, look, I learned how to do this because I fought the lion and I fought the bear. And when did he do that? Well, he did that when he was looking after his father's sheep all alone in a field when he was much younger. That faith muscle grew in him. And it expanded and grew and bigger things came and finally he was ready to lead a nation against a great enemy and win. And I want, brothers and sisters, I I want you to grow in your faith. I want that faith muscle to grow in you that wherever God might lead you in the future, that you be someone who would contribute faith, a belief in God to do things that can't otherwise be done, to serve him and to love him, to love those around you, to love the city that God puts you in. Just as I finish, just want to remind you of what Angela Kem said to us a few weeks ago. Do you remember? She said, she looked out and she said, and this is, this is a prophetic moment. She said, you're dripping with the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. You are full of God. You are full of what we started with. The life of God is in you because the Holy Spirit is in you. He's in you. He lives in you. And we, we can say, yeah, but we need more of God. Yes, you do, but you're full of God too. And now this would be my deep desire, that you would take that life of God that's in you and spread it out around the city. That others would know through the ways that only you knew, the creativity that's in you, what God's put in you, would break out with neighbors and friends and family and colleagues, people on your street, people who like the same thing as you, people who have no idea what they like and what you like. And we want to create a system whereby you can do that. We want to get behind you to be at your back and say, we're with you all the way. We'll support you and help you to do the thing that God's put in your heart to do. That your faith would grow. Because God's called us to much more than just this. He's called us further than we could ever imagine. He's calling us to sites and to cities. And we need to grow in our faith corporately and individually so that we have any chance of reaching beyond ourselves in the future.